Well, good morning, folks. It's good to see you here today. If you're watching from online or in the room, uh, we're starting a brand new series. If you've got your Bibles, let's go to Ruth chapter one. I don't know about you, uh, but when I turn on the news, um, when I'm watching social media, uh, things are a little divisive right now, to say the least, huh? Um, when we look at this, when we experience this, um, we, we can tend to get overwhelmed. We can tend to be very stressful. When you watch some of the things that are happening on the news, you're, you're, if you're like me, you're like, is this, is this really our country right now? Is this, is this really happening? And, and uh, when, you, when you watch and when you read all of these things, I think it's easy for us to sit back and think, man, things are really falling apart. <laughs> it seems like society is falling apart. It seems like you know, uh, political systems are kind of uh, diminishing and falling apart. And, and uh, we, we have this kind of temptation to kind of look at this and, 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 and our hope can, can sometimes decrease. And, and there's really no easy solutions to anything that's happening. There's no like easy uh, switch that you can flip and remove the tension and remove some of the anger. Uh, This is not an easy season for us to say the least. And when things feel like they are falling apart, uh, either in your life or when we're looking around, we tend to do one of three things. And and, uh, you might write some of this down, but one thing that we might do is we might just get angry. Um, and so when we watch, when we experience, when, when something happens, uh, the, the tendency sometimes is just to jump straight to anger. And when we allow anger to control us, then we are responding out of emotions. And even among Christians, this is happening you know, all over you know, America. Uh, who would have thought that wearing a mask or not wearing a mask uh, would be so uh, divisive. And I never dreamed that I would see Christians demonize each other based on whether or not you wear a mask or, or don't wear a mask. I, I'm seeing division in churches, uh, that, that at least in pastor friends that, that I know and talk to really all around the country right now. Uh, criticism and self-righteousness and judgmentalism is just really on the increase. And I think the stress from COVID, I, I think race relations, obviously politics is, has all brought some of this stuff to the surface. And when things fall apart, people can quickly become angry. And we, we see it from a lot of the, the, the riots and a lot of the anger that's being spewed on social media uh, today. So anger sometimes controls us when things fall apart in our life. But secondly, you might also just want to get away. And some of us have kind of experienced that. We just want to get away from it all. We just want to kind of, you know, disengage from politics or disengage from watching TV or the news or, or social media. Uh, you might want to just kind of leave your current job, whatever job you're in. If it's stressful, if things are kind of falling apart there, sometimes we think it's easier just to leave that job, go get a new job. Uh, you might leave a city, like we live here or we live there and things are starting to fall apart in our city. And uh, I think there's a lot of people moving away from certain cities in the country, moving to other areas. And so sometimes we just need to get away. We wanna get away. We, we sometimes just wanna disengage altogether from, from just the whole climate, you know? And, and, and so we just wanna avoid it. Maybe just kind of let's stick our head in the sand and, and, and not even try to deal with it. And let's just pretend like everything is okay. We just, we just kind of wanna get away. And on a deeper level, uh, when things are falling apart, sometimes in, in order to get away, some people might even consider taking their life. 
And so we're, we're seeing reports that uh, there are higher suicide rates uh, right now and, and uh, nothing definitive yet because it's so new, but even before COVID, uh, the suicide rate in America was, was already on the rise. And so you, you look at the economic pressure and the isolation, uh, the uncertainty, the drama that is surrounding us right now. And, and there's a sense sometimes for us to believe that the best thing we could do is just to get away, whether, whether that's leave or, or disengage or, or, even, or even maybe even take our life. There's a sense of hopelessness that kind of begins to take over. And, 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 and if that hopelessness sticks around, getting away seems like a viable option. Or thirdly, we might say, hey, we could, we could actually go to God. We could go to God. And in this series, what we're gonna look at, what we're gonna see is that when things fall apart, there's something that we need to know. Every single one of us, there's something that, that we can trust in. There is something that you and I can actually ho- hope in and, and, and rest in and, and understand and wake up every single day knowing that that hope exists, that, that even when everything looks like it is falling apart around us, we can know that we serve a God that is working behind the scenes of all events in our lives even when we can't see him, even when we often don't understand what he's doing, even when we look around and what we see is everything falling apart, there is a God who is at work behind the scenes. And uh, we often aren't gonna see or recognize him in the midst of that storm, but that's why I love the book of Ruth. That's why I love the story of Ruth. We're gonna see that there are two women whose lives completely fall apart. They lose everything and they they wrestle with hopelessness. They wrestle with bitterness. They wrestle with brokenness. But in the emptiness, there's a decision that's made. There's a decision and it's a decision that every single one of us can actually choose today. Uh, what, What is that? Well, let's read the scripture today and let's start to uncover what that decision could look like because if we get this right, If you get it right today, if I get it right today, then no matter what America faces, no matter what tensions we face in our life, things have hope and things can actually have an anchor that really steady the course of our life in the midst of whatever storm we actually face. Let's read the text. This is verse one of Ruth. It says, in the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land and a man of Bethlehem in Judah went to sojourn in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. The name of the man was Elimelech and the name of his wife, Naomi, and the names of his two sons were Malon and Chilion. Uh, If you're looking for a a good boy name, you might go with Chilion, just call him Chili for short. I don't know, sounds like a good name. They were Ephrathites from Bethlehem in Judah. Uh, That means they they were of a tribe of Judah and so they were Israelites and they were living in Bethlehem, they were living in the promised land. They went into the country of Moab and remained there. So it starts off by saying uh, that this was a a season in time when uh, Ruth was actually living, Naomi was actually living, and it says it it was a time uh, when the judges ruled. 
If you've got your Bibles, if you flip to the left, uh, the book of Judges is right before the book of Ruth. And so uh, what was this time actually like? Well, in Judges chapter 17, it shows us what it was like. Uh, You don't have to turn there, but in verse six of 17, it says, in this season when the judges ruled, every man did what was right in his own eyes. (laughs) I mean, kind of sounds a little bit like our current culture today, doesn't it? Everyone just kind of doing what they think is right in their own eyes, disregarding what they, the, the, the creator wants, disregarding what God wants, and, and, and just essentially doing whatever you feel is right for you. And in the context of this uh, culture that they're living in, Elimelech moves his family from Bethlehem to the country of Moab. Now, why is that a problem? It shouldn't be a problem, right? We can move and live wherever we wanna live. Well, the problem was God had specifically told the Israelites where to live. He gave them what we know as the promised land. And uh, he said and, and, and called them to actually live in that promised land. In Exodus chapter three, verse eight, God says, I'm gonna give you a land. It's flowing with milk and honey. It's gonna be a land where it, you're, you're gonna flourish, you're gonna prosper. But Moses comes along and he says in Deuteronomy 27, if you're faithful, God is gonna see that you prosper in this land. But if you uh, neglect God, if you you do not pursue God, if you do what is right in your own eyes, then God is actually gonna curse the land. So, So follow God, honor God. Do what God commands, he's gonna lead, it will lead to prospering you in this land. And the opposite is if you turn away from God, he's gonna curse the land. Now, the, the last verse of, of Judges tells us what is happening. It says that, that everyone was, was turning away from God and, and was doing what was right in their own eyes. And so as a result, God has cursed the land. Now in the time of Naomi and Elimelech, the curse comes and this curse is a famine. There's no food. Right? Their, their, their crops aren't growing. And so uh, in this season where things seem like they're falling apart for Elimelech, uh, he actually, instead of turning to God, he actually turns away from God. He decides to get away. Remember, this is sometimes how we react. You know, things are falling apart. We can get angry or we can get away. We can go to God. In, in this season of his life, he decided that he was gonna get away But in the getting away, he's actually disobeying God and he's moving his family into a foreign land, into a hostile land. Moabites did not like the Israelites. Instead of turning back to the Lord, Elimelech turns his back on the Lord and they move and they live in Moab. Now, maybe you can relate to this. I know what God wants me to do. I think I heard something about this in the Bible, but, but things are falling apart around me. Like, like things are hectic and scary and there's tension. And, and in that moment, and instead of doing what we know to be right or to, do we know to be, be, the, be the right godly thing, what do we do? We, we, we just kind of lean in our own understanding. We, we do what is right in our own eyes. I don't want to do it your way, God. I want to do it my way. And in the craziness of Elimelech's life at this time, famine, I've got two boys, I got a wife, I've got to, I've got to make sure they're taken care of. He disobeys God and they move. 
So what we're seeing here is bad leadership on Elimelech's part. He's the father. He is uh, called to be the, the, the godly leader of his family. Uh, the, the, the name Bethlehem, where they were living, is called the house of bread. And uh, he is leaving the house of bread, thinking that he's gonna go find better bread on his own. And so he's, he's going against what God had called him to do. Instead of trusting God and trusting that God would provide for him through that storm and through that, that season where everything was kind of falling apart, he takes it upon himself to figure it out. Fathers, you and I are called to be the spiritual leaders of our family. All throughout the scripture, you and I are called to lead. We're, we're called to lovingly, we're called to sacrificially serve and lead our family, our wife, our kids. We're not called to be uh, uh, bossy and insensitive and demanding. No, to be the spiritual leader means that we seek the Lord and his guidance for our life and seek to honor God, seek to honor him actually first in our life. And so God has chosen fathers to be the spiritual leaders of the family. And so we are lovingly and sacrificially leading. It means that we're gonna put our wife and, and, and encourage our wife to be in healthy, fruitful relationships where she can spiritually mature and grow. It means that we're gonna encourage her to do that. It means that we're gonna help her and encourage her to serve God's church. It means that we're going to put our kids in environments where there can be healthy, fruitful relationships that develop, where they have an opportunity to grow as well. It means that we're gonna put ourselves in healthy, fruitful relationships where God can actually grow us as well. Ultimately, dads, it means that you're the pastor of your family. You're to pastor and shepherd your wife. You're to pastor and shepherd lovingly your children. And you show them what it looks like to love Jesus. You show them what it looks like to grow in Jesus. You read the Bible together. You share together. You serve God together. You honor God, model it to them. This is what we're called to do. And Elimelech has failed to lead his family well. He took it upon himself to just simply disobey God and, and get away and do what was right in his own eyes instead of trusting in God. Now, the good news, men, we can pause for just a second after we're just kind of putting a lot of pressure on you right there. <laughs> we can pause for a minute and we can recognize this, that, that God is not asking you to move to Jerusalem to honor him today. Like you don't have to live in the, 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 the Jerusalem vicinity. Thank the Lord, that's kind of come and gone. You, you, can, you can rest assured that America is not the promised land. You don't even have to live in America. In fact, you get to choose where you live. Now that's great news. That's one less thing to worry about, right? One less thing that, that, that you have to understand. But, but as a spiritual leader, it means that you are gonna seek God's direction. It means that you are actually gonna pray about God's direction. And based on that prayer life, you can make a decision to, to live wherever you wanna live. And so I, I've had pastor friends that kind of make other pastors feel guilty for not living in the Northeast where there's not enough churches or not living in you know, the, you know, Africa or wherever else where there's not enough churches. And God's gonna call some of you to go do that. Uh, God might call me in the future to do that. But at this point, we pray through it, we ask God and we know and we trust and we, and we sense his moving and we sense his direction and, 
And then as the spiritual leader, we make that decision. And, and so it's not for anyone to judge where, whether they live in the north or the south or in another country or wherever. God has given you the freedom. And especially in America, you have the freedom to, to live wherever you want to live. Now, that's the good news. Uh, let's keep reading, though, in the story. Let's pick it up in verse 3. It says, but Elimelech, the husband of Naomi, died. And she was left with her two sons. These, two, these took Moabite wives, and the name of the one was Orpah, not Oprah, Orpah, and the name of the other, Ruth, and they lived there about 10 years. Well, so thankfully, her husband passes away, but thankfully she has her two sons, right? Well, verse five, and both Malon and Chilion died so that the woman was left without her two sons and her husband. Now, not long after they moved to this area, Elimelech dies. Uh, so Naomi is in a foreign, hostile country with no husband. Thankfully, she's got her two sons, right? Um, now, what, what's happening with their two sons here? They, they marry Moabite women, Orpah and Ruth. And, and uh, typically, when you live in Moab, your kids are gonna to tend to marry Moabites. And so what's the issue with that? Is that an issue? Is that a, is that a problem? Uh, well, in Deuteronomy chapter seven, God actually told his people not to intermarry, intermarry with any of the nations around them. He says, do not give your daughters to their sons or take their daughters for your sons. But here we have Naomi's sons marrying Moabite women. Now, at this time, the, the Israelites were commanded to do this, not because of a color of skin or not because of any kind of um, uh, racial issue with people around them. In fact, they, they were most likely all pretty much the same color of skin at that time. No, the issue is that God, God knows that if his people were to marry uh, other people who were worshiping other gods, then that's going to tempt and lead you know, the man or the woman to, instead of worshiping the one true God, to run after false gods. And then when they have children, then it would argue and fuss and fight over what church they're gonna go to and, and if they're gonna worship this God or if they're gonna worship that God and their marriage would be unfruitful and unhealthy. And so God knows, look, I want you to experience peace and happiness. So therefore you need to marry people that worship and serve me. So today you're free to marry anyone from any country or color uh, but you've heard me say this over and over again, single folks, don't even date an unbeliever because we often marry those that we date, right? And so if you want your marriage to be fruitful, happy, and, 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 and on a path of spiritual growth, then it's vitally important that you date those who uh, love Jesus. Um, now, some people are gonna find themselves in a, in a tough situation. Maybe you were both unbelievers, when you got married. And then maybe somewhere along the way, one of you came to know Jesus, you became a Christian. And so what are you supposed to do? Are you supposed to you know, leave this person or? No, the Bible gives us really clear uh, commands on this. Paul actually tells us in the New Testament that, that if one of you becomes a believer and the other person is so offended and they just wanna abandon you, they just wanna leave you because of that, Paul says, let them go. But he says, if they choose to remain with you, then live your life in such a way that you can encourage, bless, show them the gospel, influence them and impact them with the love of Jesus. And prayerfully, one day maybe they would see who Jesus is and commit their life to him. So 
Essentially, that's what's happening here. They've made some mistakes by moving there, further mistake by marrying people that God said not to actually marry. So back to the story here. Elimelech has died. The two sons have died as well. Only, even like the frame of like 10 years. So a lot of devastation for Naomi and Ruth. Uh, This is where the story though takes a major shift. Obviously, Naomi um, is devastated at this point. Obviously her life, I'm sure feels like it's falling apart. We just moved, my husband's passed away. Now my son, I have no more children. Right, And not only that, but she is destitute. If you're a woman living at this time with no husband, no sons, there are, there's no government assistance, there, there's no job for you to go get, like you have to make it on your own at this point. She has no money, no job, no one to help her. She's in a dire situation. To say that her life has fallen apart doesn't even do it justice. The amount of pain and worry and anxiety in her life must have been at a level 10. Just imagine that for a moment. This is to put yourself in those shoes, facing famine, moving into a hostile country, losing so many family members in such a short time. Some of you will think of that and you will, you will even actually understand what she's going through. Some of you maybe even today might be facing some kind of devastation. Maybe you've lost someone or maybe it's a job or maybe it's a relationship or maybe someone's actually passed away. You've got all of that. Now you've got everything in culture happening. In that moment, we tend to ask, where are you at, God? We, We tend to ask, God, are you punishing me for something? In fact, you might even look at this story and say, well, Naomi got what she deserved. You know, some people might read this story and say, well, husband died, he was disobeying God, he moved away. Your sons died because they married the wrong people. So, you know, he got what you deserved. Is God punishing them for their disobedience? And we've got to pump the brakes, self-righteous Christians. (laughs) Don't be so quick to judge. Scripture does not, does not clearly say this. Sometimes, you know, things happen because of bad decisions and, and sometimes it just happens because we live in a fallen world. It's been said that um, the knife in the hand of a murderer is a, is a terrible weapon, but that same knife could be a scalpel in the hands of a surgeon that can save lives. And this is how God often works in our life. Uh, We wanna be faithful to scripture. God is doing far more here in this story than you can even realize. He's much wiser. Our understanding is is much weaker than than we can possibly imagine. And, And our finite minds can never fully comprehend what an infinite God is actually doing. So don't beat yourself up today if you're facing something that is devastating and you're, and you're just saying, man, God is doing this to me or, or because I did X, God is doing Y. You are not God, my friend. You don't know why, you don't know what he's up to. And even as we read the word of God here, we're not quite sure yet here in chapter one, we're going to see as it unfolds. But 
we see the scripture, we, we see that it teaches us that God is sovereign. And that means that there is absolutely nothing that can happen in the world, in the universe, that is outside God's authority. It means that, that God is the ultimate source of, of all power, of, of all authority and everything that exists. And because God is sovereign, and because we know that he loves us, there is nothing that will ever come into your life that he does not either decree or allow. But that doesn't mean God is punishing her. The Bible doesn't say that. So let's not assume that God is punishing anybody here because of a certain situation. God is working behind the scenes here in a way that is going to bless and bring hope and bring power. So, so let's not take the bad theology route today. Let's just see what scripture teaches us. Verse six, let's keep going in the story. So after the death of her sons and her husband, then she arose with her daughters-in-law to return from the country of Moab. For she had heard in the fields of Moab that the Lord had visited his people and given them food. So the famine has broken. So she set out from the place where she was with her two daughter-in-laws and they went on their way to return to the land of Judah. So she heard that God had given the people food back in Bethlehem, so she decides to return. You might circle that word, we'll get to it in just a minute. This is significant. She is going back to the promised land. She is going back, she is returning to God's people. Like the prodigal son who realized that there was food at his father's house, House, Naomi realizes that there's food now in the house of God, and so she is going back. She is returning to God's love. Even though her people were gonna judge her, even though you know, people might you know, gossip about her, she decides to go back to God. And in verses eight through 13, she's basically convincing Orpah and Ruth to go home. She's basically saying, hey, look, guys, I don't have anything for you. I'm not having any more sons to, for you to marry. Um, I, can't, I can't help you. I'm destitute. I've got no future. I don't know how I'm gonna feed myself, let alone help you guys. So the best option for you is you're young. You've got a future ahead of you. Go back home, go back to your gods, go back to your family, and you're, you're, you're gonna have a better situation than if you go with me. Now, you might look at that and say, not very helpful advice, Naomi. <laughs> go back to your gods and go back to your family. Not helpful, right? So, so maybe not the best counselor in that situation. Uh, but Orpah hears this and she's like, I feel you. I'm, I'm with you on that one. Uh, you got nothing for me. I'm going back to my family. I'm going back to my city. I'm going back to my town. And so she does. But the scripture says that Ruth does something a little different here. Let's keep reading. In verse 15, this is the passage that you sometimes read at um, weddings and that kind of thing. A little bit of context now for that, hopefully. And she said, see, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. In other words, go with her. But Ruth said, do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you. For where you go, I will go. And where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die. And there I will be buried. May the Lord do so to me and more also if anything but death parts me from you. So Orpah leaves, but Ruth makes a critical, critical,
critical decision here. Ruth decides that she's actually going to begin to follow God. I started the idea today with with a a decision that every single one of us uh, can make today. When things fall apart around us, when things look like, you know, the, the, the storm is too tragic and chaotic, instead of just getting away or getting angry, we have a third option here and it's what Ruth is deciding to do. When life is falling apart around her, she decides to trust God. She decides to go to God. Don't miss the power of this decision today. This is the turning point of the story. It's the turning point of Ruth's life. Your people will be my people. Your God will be my God. She's saying that she is committing her life to the God of Israel. She is committing her life to the people of God. She's rejecting the, the, the false gods of her people. She is turning away from the, the family and land that she's always known. And she is turning back to God. In fact, there's a word here that I think is important. Uh, you, you know, the, the, the Old Testament is written in Hebrew. And so uh, there's a Hebrew word that's mentioned 10 times in this one chapter. It's the Hebrew word shub. And it means return or uh, it means to turn back. And it's mainly used throughout the scripture to describe when someone is turning back to God's grace. In other words, it's their conversion experience. It's them turning away from sin and turning to God. And that's why it's so important to understand this. Anytime God uh, in the word uses uh, the, the same word over and over again, It's like God is saying, don't miss this, don't miss this. This is huge. And so just in one little chapter here, we see the word 10 times. So this is why we don't wanna create bad theology when it comes to pain and suffering because we can be too simplistic. We can can be too black and, and, and white. It's too simplistic and wrong to say that Naomi sinned and God is punishing, for, punishing her for her sins and, and uh, the punishment is, is death to her husband, to her sons. That's actually terrible theology. God's providential control is somehow working in ways that we don't always understand. And he is using Naomi's failures as well as God's ultimate purposes in her life. And in this case, he's using both to reach and connect and draw a young pagan woman named Ruth. You see, God is working to bring Ruth to faith. He's working so that he can bring her into the family of God. And he plans to use her in ways that that you and I couldn't even imagine. No way she could have imagined what God was gonna do in her life, as we'll see in the weeks to come. Naomi's mistakes and God's purposes lead to this moment. You see, God's using good decisions. He's using bad decisions in our life for his glory and for our good. And as a result of this particular story, billions of people are impacted, including you and I. And we're gonna see that unfold as we study this book. So you might write it down like this. Your pain and God's plan are woven, to, are woven together to create powerful miracles. Let's, let's, let's read that again. Your pain and God's plan are woven together to create powerful 
miracles. Don't miss this today. Yeah, you've made some mistakes. Uh, You've moved to Moab. Um, Your kids have maybe married the wrong people or, or are struggling in those relationships. But those mistakes are woven together in the sovereignty and plan of God. And he's gonna do powerful things in your life, even miracles in your life today if you turn back to him. Now listen, God doesn't lead you to sin. It wasn't God tempting Elimelech to sin against him to to move to Moab. God does not tempt us to sin, but in his sovereignty, somehow, on this level that none of us can really comprehend. He uses that that, that mistake. He uses his plan and he weaves it together for his glory. Miracles happen, lives are transformed and we can't miss this because some of you are, are, are tempted to quit on God. Some of you act like it's God's fault that you're experiencing this fallout. Some of us you know, look around our culture and, and, and know we can't see God perhaps doing and working and all we see is negative, 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 division, division, division. But th- does that mean a sovereign God isn't at work behind the scenes? Of course not. He's working. He's moving even today. I wish I could see it all. Uh, I'd write a book and make millions and we'd build whatever we wanted to build here. <laughs> But at this point, we trust, right? We trust that God is at work and his plan is bigger than our plan. Now, in the midst of this, it doesn't make it any easier to even believe this. Even Naomi is still wrestling with, you know, the fallout of what she is experiencing. Let's close with these last few verses here. She goes back home. So the two of them went on until they came to Bethlehem. And when they came to Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. Why were they stirred? Well, here's Naomi, you left, now you're coming back. Huh, oh yeah, not so tough now, are you, Naomi? You know what she's facing? Same thing you and I face when we go through situations, gossip, slander, right? What is she doing though? She's still doing what she's supposed to do. She's coming and returning back to God's presence and and, and God's people. What else is happening here that's stirring everybody? Here's a a Moabite woman. What is she doing here? Like you can't bring her into this community. She worships pagan gods. Like she doesn't fit in here. And, 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 and we're gonna see more clearly, but Ruth is coming in and, and it is clear that, that she has committed her life to the God of Israel. But this is stirring everybody in town. And, and the woman said, is this Naomi? She said to them, do not call me Naomi, call me Mara, for the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went away full and the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi when the Lord has testified against me and the Almighty has has brought calamity upon me? So even Naomi here in this moment, she's, she's, she's wrestling with what is God doing in my life? You know, we're tempted to blame God for even our own mistakes. But listen, just because she has messed up, just because you know, we mess up. It doesn't mean that God has done working, but, but you can relate to her, can't you? 
She shows up, her, the word Naomi means pleasant. And they're like, oh, hey, Naomi, hey, pleasant. She's like, no, 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 I'm changing my name. I'm no longer pleasant, call me Mara, because that means bitter. Some of you have, have wanted to change your name a time or two, maybe. <laughs> your marriage was awesome, but if you were gonna give it a name today, you'd probably say it's awful, right? Some of you have, have gone through some severe pain in your life. And so where once in your life you were maybe the life of the party or you were excited or joyful or hopeful and, and now because you know, life has kind of raked you over the coals for whatever it is you're going through and, and now you're here to say, you know what, don't call me happy, call me bummed out. You know, don't, 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 don't call me joyful, um, just, just call me upset, call me bitter. I think we can relate to her when we face this suffering. We're tempted to become bitter at God, bitter at the ones that hurt us. And some are in that season where we would like to change our name. Uh, in verse 21, it says that she left full. So in her mind, she's saying, I left full and I have come back empty. That's why I'm bitter. But because God is working behind the scenes in her life and because God is working behind the scenes in your life. She hasn't realized it yet, but she actually left empty and she came back to God and he is going to fill her up. And if you come back to God today, he'll do the same thing for you. He'll fill you up, he'll give you joy, he'll give you peace. He'll give you his presence. He'll give you the, the will that he wants for your life today. He'll give you, he'll give you that sense of, 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 of belonging that you're wrestling with today. He'll give you that purpose that you're dying to understand today. Naomi can't see it. Some of us can't see it yet today, but God is at work. And perhaps God needed to empty you Perhaps that's part of his plan, that, that he needs to empty you of yourself so that you'll reach out to him and experience his fulfillment. And so today the choice is yours. When things fall apart, will you return to God or will you return to Moab? Will you return to bitterness or will you return to purpose? And, and will you return to a God that died on the cross for your sins, that paid for your sin? And if you decide to follow him today, if you decide to return to him, if you decide to give him your life, if you decide to go his way, he'll give you forgiveness. He'll give you hope. He'll give you understanding. And over the next three weeks, we're gonna see God do some miracles in the life of Ruth. And I believe it all started with her commitment, first and foremost, to return to God. See, it's real easy to become bitter. It's real easy to turn on the news and get overwhelmed with anger and frustration. It's real easy to, to kind of let all the emotions that, that are stirred within you. And, and you know, people are trained and equipped to stir you up. You know that, right? Like they know how to stir you up. They know what buttons to push. They're listening to us on the phone right now. You know, so they know what really gets you going. And so just imagine if there is somebody in your life, imagine a real person. It's almost like a little brother, 
If, if you grew up with a little brother or you're, you're a parent and there's a little brother kind of in the mix, what's that little brother doing? Always pestering, always annoying, trying to get his sister's route up. Have you ever, you ever had that? We went through that. It's like, it's like little brother always just kind of poking his head in the room and get out of here, it's in my room. And he's just like dying laughing, you know, just pestering constantly. That's what media and social media wants to do to you. Constantly pester you to get you inflamed, to get you riled up so that you get angry. Because when you're anger, angry, you act out of emotion. And, and, and what God wants us to do today, no matter what storm you're facing, no matter how life is falling apart in your neck of the woods, what he's telling us to do today is to return to God and trust God. Return to God and trust God. We get away from him so quickly. We get away and do what's right in our eyes so quickly. We run to the self-help and we run to the, the person that we look up to and we run to the advice and we run to the news so quickly. And God says, slow down, return to me and trust me. In the midst of this tension and anxiety and frustration in our country, return to God and trust God. If you've ever been on a boat, if you've ever sailed or done any of that, which I haven't really, but I've done some research and sailors talk about anchor faith. Now, you know what, what an anchor does, right? The, the, the value and importance of an anchor, if you're, if you're a sailor, is that when you go through a storm, um, you're, you're trained to lower that anchor and the anchor goes to the bottom of the ocean and then really just kind of sinks in and, and holds the boat steady when the storm comes. We just saw Hurricane you know, Laura come through uh, Louisiana and Texas praying for all those people. And um, if you're in this boat, the storm comes, the wind, the waves are crashing. The anchor is the one that holds you steady. That's the thing that steadies you through the storm. And if you don't have a good anchor or the right anchor, then it's gonna drag on the bottom of the ocean floor, which means you could run into another boat or, or even land or rocks or uh, the, the waves can actually capsize you and flip you over. And so you have to have a good anchor. And so sailors, they talk about anchor faith. And if you have anchor faith, in other words, you, you bought the good anchor. You know, you didn't go cheap on this anchor. It's the good one, it's been proven. In fact, you've been through a storm a time or two and, and you've used that anchor and, and it's held steady and, and, and you were fine in that storm. And so it built up that anchor faith. But just like every product out there, there are good anchors and there are not so good anchors. And if you're in the middle of the ocean and a storm hits you and you don't know if you've got a good one or not, you're gonna lower that thing and you're just gonna hope it works out. You're gonna hope it's gonna steady you in that storm. But wouldn't it be terrible to realize in the midst of a storm, dang it, we went with the cheap one. You know, we're getting tossed around, our lives are at stake, right? Can you imagine the, you know, playing that back when you bought it off Amazon? I knew I shouldn't have got that one, right? And then you're fighting, you know, and the storm and it's just chaos. That's why it's important to know that what you are putting your trust in today that is anchoring you in the current of this extreme storm that our country is facing is vitally important. Some of you are stressed during this storm today because you don't have the right anchor. There's, there's not a faith in the right anchor. Your anchor is kind of being dragged all over the ocean floor and, and uh, you're trusting in the wrong things and you're up and down and emotional and, and, and upset and there's no peace in your life today. Just wonder 
if you'd be ready to make a decision to say, you know what, I'm, I'm, I'm ready to return to God. I wanna trust in the one anchor that we can actually have faith in, that will always get us through every storm, that we can always count on, that will never let us down, that will somehow take our past, our bad mistakes, will take His glory, will take His plan and weave it together for His glory and my good. His name is Jesus. And He's the only anchor that can steady you in this season of chaos that each of us are facing today. So I wonder, are, are you ready? I, I wonder, have you, have you walked away from that anchor? You kind of lived in Moab for a while, you're ready to return. No matter who you are, I believe, if you're watching online today, if you're in the room, you can return to God right here, right now. Let me ask you just to bow your heads for a moment. No matter what you've done, no matter who you are, the grace of God's gospel is that he will forgive you if you turn to him today. Jesus died on the cross, taking your place, paying the penalty that, that you and I deserve to pay. And today, if you trust in his death, ask for his forgiveness and return to him. He'll give you his spirit. He'll save you today. He'll give you the hope of heaven. And you'll experience the power and presence of God in your life. Just simply say, God, I confess my sins to you today. I believe that Jesus died on the cross. Forgive me of my sins. And come into my life today. I believe if that was a decision that you've made, I believe if that is something that you truly want to do in your life today, that God saved you. We want to know about that. We would love for you to text the number coming up on your screen. We would love for you to scan that code in front of you and let us know the decision that you made today. No matter what you go through in life, every single one of us are gonna experience these storms. And there's only one anchor, there's only one anchor that will allow you through that turmoil to find a place of peace. And it's only through seeking him and knowing him and trusting in him and having faith in him that we'll ever experience it. Father God, all over this place, all over this room, as people are watching, God, I pray, God, that you would help us to experience the place of peace. Lord, let this song just infuse our heart and soul to trust in you to experience your power. Help us to take a deep breath today and recognize 
the God of the universe is still in control, still loving and directing and guiding us. And it's in him that we trust. It's him that we seek today. Fill us, God. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen.